miracle can happen now because the Spirit of the Lord is here. Dave running the camera. I'm going to sit down. Just so you know. Oh, I've been sitting in this room so much more the past three months than I have in my whole life. This is where I come when, uh, when things are going well. I just sit with God and we talk and just keep praying that the miracle would happen. And it hasn't happened yet, but the Spirit of the Lord is here. And I've been waiting for the Holy Spirit to show me things. And he has. So I know he's here. For the last six months in our church, For the last six months in our church, there has been heartbreak and there has been frustration and discouragement and there's been conflict. And unlike any time ever being a part of this church family, the last six months have made me not want to be part of this church family so many times. That's a weird thing to say to you because I love you. And there's a lot of Sundays where, oh, I had to really spend time preparing my heart to speak because I love you and because I don't want to pull you into the mess which is my heart because sometimes it's, it's sad and sometimes it's discouraging. So I wouldn't say I've had to pretend to be happy, but I've had to, I've had to go to the places of Scripture and the Holy Spirit that encouraged me the most and draw from that before I talk to you on Sundays. It's been a really hard six months. And it started, it feels like, because love started to disappear. This morning, as we open up First Peter a little bit and talk about the suffering that Jesus went through, we're going to talk about how it's motivated by love. And we're going to go to First John, and we're going to talk about in First John how love is the driving force of everything that we do. But when love disappears, this becomes nothing. I referenced that the other Sunday when I was reading from 1 Corinthians. Man, I had never read those, those chapters and had it hit me that same way. Chapters 12, 13, 14 about the spiritual gifts. Like I shared this the other Sunday. It was so special to me that the spiritual gifts were showing up in their church in ways that we don't see in any other church in the Bible. It seems like all the spiritual gifts were present in their worship. And Paul, who will plant this church, writes to them in a letter and says, that's fantastic that all those gifts are there, but I don't see love. So all of that is worthless. All of that. The Holy Spirit can be present, but without the love that motivates our actions in the Holy Spirit, does, does that honor him? Oh, have I felt conflicted, my friends, but God is so good. And he sent so many encouragements my way. Thank you to the person that emailed me this week and just wrote the most encouraging letter to me I'd ever, I'd ever read. Oh my goodness, I absolutely, I love it. I love people who are so kind and so encouraging. Have we forgotten what Jesus wants the church to be like and instead made the church about what we like? Have we made church about us and our preferences, about what kind of music we play? 
Jesus prefers a few that are completely committed to him over a crowd that wants a show, bells and whistles. When people come here, we've got to be willing to answer those questions, why we're doing what we're doing. He wants a place of prayer. He wants a place where the lost are welcome. He wants a place where other people can come to him, the lost. And I couldn't agree more. That's the church. If you're new to all of this, the church started in the book of Acts. Jesus had 120 friends who followed him passionately. And Jesus died, was resurrected, and then went to heaven to be with the Father. And those 120 friends were left. That was it. There's no one else. And all they had was their love for Jesus and their trust that Jesus' power would show up. So they waited in the city and they prayed. And they prayed and they prayed. And then one day, everything changed forever. It says in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of God descended on them. Just like the dedication of the temple, fire fell from heaven and landed on each one of them. And they were filled with Yahweh. They were filled with the presence of God. To become bold witnesses of what they had seen and what they had heard. And they went to share the testimony of what they had experienced. And throughout the next few days, as by the power of the Holy Spirit and their love for Jesus... They stood before people that wanted to kill them. They stood before people that wanted nothing to do with them and told the story of what Jesus had done. And thousands of people began to follow. Thousands of people. This love to tell this story motivated them to go around the world to keep telling more people. It led them to give their own lives to see this story be witnessed to others. What did Jesus do? It says in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, the church got together to read the apostles' teaching and to study it. They had fellowship, they broke bread together, and they prayed for one another. That was it. That's what it talks about them doing. And every once in a while, someone in that church would have a need, so someone else would go sell a field and bring all the money so that everyone in the church was taken care of. It says, and then nobody had a need. That was church. So when people encountered that, what did they encounter? Passionate people, committed to God and love, loving one another to the point to have this sacrificial attitude towards one another. And they went and told the story of Jesus, giving everything for them. And they died to tell that story. Do people see what I just described when they encounter me? Do people see that when they encounter you? It's so tempting to put the focus on me. It's so tempting to make my Christianity what I want and what I like. Because I do that too. Even, even this, like the worship service, is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. This is just an hour and a half of my week. I pray every day. I need to. I don't know how to survive without telling God how I'm feeling. He's my counselor. He's who I complain to and I cry to and I'm not doing well. This, it's about loving God and loving other people. 
And when, when our gathering isn't about loving God and loving other people, when it's about loving myself, then this doesn't bring him glory anymore. You see, Darren, we're displaying all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like we're doing these, this amazing thing. It's beautiful. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe I've just become a consumer who likes to come and likes to enjoy, likes to take in, likes it to tickle me, and I like to go home. Am I a participant? The church that I read in Acts 2, they participated in the mission, in the sacrifice for him and for everyone. They gave. They gave their lives. They just came and they gave. And I can have the attitude, I can, that I come and I consume. And either I go home happy because I consumed what I like, or I go home upset because I consumed what I didn't like. Church is now about me. Father, I sang you songs for 20 minutes, but I go home more concerned about what I like. I listened to Nick read the Bible for half an hour. It was really good, but then I go home upset over a verse that he shared or an example he used or regardless. Or I wish he would have used a different example or a different Bible verse. Or Darren when he's praying. Darren when he's praying or reading the announcements. Who knows? Whatever I do to upset you. I do it too. Uh, Mr. Paul Tripp writes in his book, this is a devotional book that I've been reading for the last few months. This book has been incredible for me. Today, I opened this at my kitchen table as I was eating my breakfast, and as Cooper and Jesse were screaming, and we forced them to go downstairs so that I could read, Mr. Tripp said this to me, today you will spend solitary moments of conversation with yourself, either either listing your complaints or counting your blessings. Think with me for a moment. Do you live a life of blessing or complaint? It's so easy to grumble. It's so easy to find fault. It's so easy to be discontent. It's so easy to find things that are less than you want them to be. It's so easy to be irritated and to be impatient. It's so easy to groan and to moan about the difficulties of life. It is so easy to be dissatisfied. Why are these things so easy? They're easy because sin still causes us to make it all about us. Because sin really is selfishness at its core. We all still tend to shrink our worlds down to the smallest confines of our wants, our needs, our feelings. We then tend to judge the good of our lives by how much of what we want are actually able to have. And at street level, it's tempting to live a God-forgetful self-centered life. If you put yourself in the center of the world, you will find plenty of things to complain about. It ends like this. I couldn't believe it after like thinking about this sermon this morning. God gave me this this morning. Complaining forgets God's grace. Complaining ignores his presence. It fails to see the beauty of his promises. It allows the display of his splendor in creation to go unnoticed. It questions God's goodness. Complaining questions God's faithfulness and love. It wonders if he's there. It wonders if he cares. If you believe in God, his control over everything that exists, then you have to accept all of your grumblings 
They're ultimately grumblings against him. Yes, it's easy to complain. It's so easy to forget the daily blessings that fall down on each of us. And this is how it ends the final sentence. Our readiness to complain is another argument for the forgiving and rescuing grace that Jesus, without complaint, willingly died to give us. That's the grace he willingly died to give us without complaint. This is the past passage of scripture, not the pasture, that I'm supposed to be preaching on this morning. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten in return. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd. You've returned to the overseer of your souls. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. But that's not where we're going to be this morning. I'd encourage you to read it. It's beautiful. That's what I'm supposed to talk about. Jesus suffered for us, never complained, set the example, trusted the Father, bore all of our sin on him, went to the cross, and rescued all of the sheep that had no shepherd. And I've been feeling all week like the Holy Spirit wants me to draw the church back to loving one another. Instead of conflict and instead of strife to draw us back to love. Not, not the fake surface level kind of love that says, well, just forgive someone and forget about it. If someone's been hard on you, cruel to you, unfair to you, just forget about it. Just pretend like it never happened. No, that's not love. Love is reconciling the relationship, right? Love is saying, I apologize, I forgive you, and I want to restore our friendship. I want to not do it again. I want to rebuild what we broke down. That's love. And I'm praying about how to talk about that. And my devotion this morning says, Jesus did it without complaining. Come on, Darren. Come on. First John. Now, if you've got Bibles open, First John, my friends. Love. The beautiful thing is I don't even have to spend the next 10 minutes talking about conflict resolution. There's no need to. I want to talk about love. Why? Because I believe that Jesus' love inside of me gives me the ability to love others I don't agree with, to love God even when it's hard, to love my enemies. It's love. So to tell you what to do without giving you the motivation that John offers to us would just be foolish. This is 1 John. This is chapter 1. This is verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we lie. We deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from our sin, our unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if any of you does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commands is a liar. The truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Amen. By this, we would know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. That's convicting. Verse 7, chapter 2. Beloved, I'm writing you no new command, but an old commandment that you've had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, he's still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, flip to chapter 3. We couldn't read the whole book. It would have taken the whole time. Flip to chapter 3, verse 11. This is 1 John 3.11. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brothers is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. You see, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Dear children, let us not love in word or talk. Let's love in deed and in truth. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we'll receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. This is it. 
that we believe in the name of Jesus and love one another as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us. The spirit, by the spirit he's given us. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, a little bit of chapter four. Let's go to verse seven of chapter four. Try not to get too excited. I'll try to read slower so you can follow along. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, they don't know God. Because God's love, he is. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God. He loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took the penalty. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Remember, this is John, Jesus' best friend, writing this. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love, God's love is perfected in us if we love one another. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his Holy Spirit. We've seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God so that we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. And Gianna was telling me this before she got baptized. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love, but we love because he first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. That's it. As I'm reading through 1 John this week, and I read through the whole book, this is how I have to approach my life. This is what God has called me to, regardless of who has hurt me or wronged me. And if I've hurt other people and wronged other people, this again is where I draw my resolve from. That if I love you, then regardless of what is between us, I must find a way to extend that love to you, the love Jesus had for me, I did not deserve it. And people have been hard on me and they don't deserve love back from me. 
And yet the Holy Spirit says through me, Darren, I gave you everything for free. You didn't deserve it at all. Can't you love other people in my name even when it's hard? Isn't that the only love that really stands apart from everything else that's so surface level is love when it's hard, not love when it's easy. I just can't keep doing it. I just can't do six more months of this. There has to be a healthy way for all of us to share our hearts, to share how we feel, to share our struggles and our frustrations, to love one another and respect one another, to give our lives for one another. You think that would happen in our church family? I've seen this anger and this hostility. I've seen it even spread into other areas of the church. Other areas that have nothing to do with music on a Sunday morning. It's part of our church meetings now, and it's part of a silent hostility that I see in conversations that I have with people. People who come to me and say, something doesn't feel right. Church doesn't feel the same. What's wrong? I've seen it in our leaders. Anger, frustration. That's not right. And it breaks my heart because this isn't what it's supposed to be. If we're going to do church, we're going to do it right. Because if we're not going to do it right, I'm out. I'm so committed. I would give my life to do this properly, to follow him properly. You have no idea. But we have to talk about it. What happens when two people get upset and they don't talk about it? Poor Rebecca and Cole had to listen to me and Chantel do marriage counseling. You know what happens when two people get mad and they don't talk about it? It magically goes away. No, it doesn't. They magically get way madder at each other, don't they? (laughs) Oh, goodness me. This isn't, uh, I don't know how Paul did it, you guys. Paul had this ability, you read 1 Corinthians, he had this ability to say to the church, I love you, I would give my life for you, you've been very, very bad, and I love you. I'm like, was he not afraid of losing his job? Like, was he not afraid of the phone calls that would come the next day? Was he not afraid of upsetting the people? I don't know whether it's because he lived in a different country and he was writing them a letter, so by the time they got mad and replied back, I don't know, he'd moved on, I don't know. Like he, just, he had this way, though, of the churches knew he would give his life for them. I, I wonder if that was it. His life had been so dramatically filled with second chances that he had used every bit of energy he had left to love them, that when, even when he was hard on them or critical or held them to accountability, he remained their spiritual leader. He remained their pastor. And yet this morning as I'm eating my breakfast, I'm just like, this could be it. This could be the last sermon. This could be the final one. Maybe I will be raising cows for a living. Which sounds kind of fun, but I don't want to do that for a living. I just, I've just been praying since Christmas for something supernatural to happen. That the little foothold that the devil, who's like a prowling lion, the prince of this world, when he finds something that we have 
in between each other, some sort of a conflict. And if he can get in between it, he can pull apart even the closest church. Why do people who get baptized and give their life to the Lord then face, seems like, the strongest spiritual attacks? Because they're on to something. When you're brand new to being a Christian, when you're brand new maybe to getting baptized, you would give your life to see the mission move forward. And Satan goes, no, and tries to block that right away. You know who he doesn't have to block? He doesn't have to block people who are focused on themselves in church. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to make your life tough. Because you have a relationship with God that isn't even focused on him. You don't scare him at all. But people who've radically laid down their lives to follow Jesus, those are people that he can't stop. Those are people that he has to get in front of, right? And all of a sudden, this last half year, it just feels like the momentum of eight years of being here, the momentum I've seen building, all of a sudden, something small became big. And all of a sudden, there was a wall. And now you can't overcome this. Every discussion you have with people will hit this wall. Every church meeting you have the ministry team is going to hit this wall. Every time someone in the church upsets you, it's going to take you right back to that wall, that feeling you have, that anger you have, every single time. And after you think, oh, I'm over it now, I'm finally over it. No. No, the next interaction you have that upsets you, takes you right back to that. And we're trapped. And I'm trapped. So I just started praying, Holy Spirit, do something supernatural. If it's a spiritual battle that we're facing, I need a spiritual weapon. I can't whip out my four steps to uh, solving a marriage conflict. Whoop. And all of a sudden I read it aloud during a sermon and everyone hugs each other at the end of church. And we never fought ever again. <laughs> I started praying things that are larger than what I've ever asked. Things that are larger than I've ever imagined that the Holy Spirit would do in our church. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. And that's what I'm going to pray for this morning. Not for hugs and kisses at the end of church. I'm going to pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit to convict me of the mistakes that I've made, to convict you of the mistakes that you've made, and to draw us back together. In an honest and real way, for us to be frank with one another and honest with one another. Say, here's the mistake that I've made, and I want to... And I want to reunite this friendship and for the other person to say, I forgive you and here's the mistake that I've made. I want to make right this relationship. For us to own our mistakes, not quietly hide them. This starts at the top. This starts with me. This starts with Nick. This starts with our elders. This starts at the top and it comes down. All of us. Because if we want this church to look like the church they had, where they would give their lives for each other, this wall needs to come down. We can't just sing happy songs and smile and allow the wall to remain. It can't. So starting today, the wall starts coming down with real discussions starting today. I was telling the youth group about Lazarus. Don't worry, I'm almost done. I won't 
I won't talk for hours. Lazarus getting resurrected, right? It has to be one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. These sisters are crying out to Jesus for help. I don't know if you've ever cried out to Jesus for help. I have. And they say, Jesus, like you're powerful enough to bring our brother back from this illness. Show up and heal him. You are powerful enough. We love you. We have this relationship with you. Do it. And Jesus says, no. And he waits. And the disciples are so confused. Why wouldn't we go? God, you are love. Pastor Darren just read half of 1 John. God is love. Go. No. We wait. We wait. And they wait one day, and they wait two days. And finally, he says, now we will go. And it's for your benefit, Jesus says to the disciples. You will see the glory of God. Wait and see. So they finally show up. It's been four days. One of the sisters doesn't even come out to talk to Jesus. Just one of them. Her initial response, why? Why didn't you come? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is emotional. And the one sister runs back and gets the other sister, and she comes out. And what's her first response to Jesus? The first thing she says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. They're disappointed. If Jesus really loved us and he really cared for us, why wouldn't he show up now when I want to do the thing that I want, the way that I want it to be? God, your purpose in life is to meet my needs and my expectations. Why didn't you show up four days ago if you really are love? And Jesus is crying with the sisters. Did Jesus love them? Well, I don't know. He didn't show up in time. He's crying with them. He loved them. He loved Lazarus. And they go up to the tomb and he says, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And they're so confused. Lord, he's going to smell. He's been gone half a week. People don't come back from being dead half a week. He is gone. We've had a four-day-long funeral. We've said goodbye, Lord. It's too late. And Jesus says, did I stutter? Roll away the stone. Sorry, I added that. And they roll away the stone. Jesus says, what? Lazarus? Two words. He said, come out. Lazarus stands up. Yeah, you heard me right. Lazarus stood up. I know you're, you're shocked by the miracle. You're in silence, aren't you? Four days he'd been gone, and he walks out. And Jesus says, unbind him. Because he's bound by all the burial cloths, unbind him. Why does someone need unbinding? They've been set free. Jesus sets Lazarus free from death. Why? Because the glory of the Lord needed to be shown in that place. And if Jesus would have healed him while he was simply sick, what would the glory have been? And if Jesus would have met those sisters' expectations, then what would have happened to their relationship with God? 
Every time I call on God, he just does what I say. Thank you, God. You work for me. No. God flips the situation upside down and says, you wait for me. I will show you my great power. And God shows up on the fourth day. But I have to be honest with you, though. I sympathize with the sisters. Because over the past six months of my church family not loving each other, I felt apathetic, and I felt disappointed, and I felt angry, and I felt confused, and I just filled with doubt. How could this God be a part of your plan for our church family to allow this? How could this be a part of it? And all of a sudden, I realized as I was preparing that story for the youth group, that's me. God, if you really loved us, wouldn't you have just made us I'll get along, God, if you really loved us, wouldn't you have just shown us what to do six months ago to make this go away forever? Wouldn't you have just healed it? Wouldn't you have just convicted the person or the persons and made them go say sorry? God, it would have worked perfectly in my mind. Isn't that your purpose, to serve me? For some reason, we've had to wait. And I think some of the waiting has been my disobedience, Maybe you feel the same way. But here we are. Feels like we've waited an eternity for this body to rise up. And now I'm kind of just meh. Like, it just, I go through days and I'm like, if it doesn't get better, what's the point? I talked to one family this week that said they don't know how much longer they'll be here. This family, this church family, just doesn't, doesn't feel right anymore they might have to find a new church family. And it's just like, God, it's got to be the fourth day. Bring Lazarus back now. I can't wait any longer. And yet, we don't talk about it. And yet, we smile at each other, even if we don't like each other. We just hope it goes away. Or it's, it's up to them to say sorry first, or it's up to them to say sorry first, or I won't say sorry today, say sorry. No one's holding them accountable. No one's holding them accountable. Mom, my brother did it first. He needs to be spanked first. <laughs> kind of sounds like my boys a little bit. And I'm guilty of that too. I just can't go on like this. Like, this has to be the moment when we ask ourselves where we're going to go as a church. We can't just keep pretending. Like, we believe everything written in this book, but we only want to follow half of it, you know? Because if we're going to choose to do that, mm -mm. (laughs) mm-mm. Mm-mm. So we're going to pray, because I don't have the answer, but God does, His Holy Spirit does. And I'm going to pray for something supernatural to happen, and I hope you're okay with that. So if you're comfortable, just join me right now. Bow your head. Close your eyes. And we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, I'm so, I'm so conflicted. Holy Spirit, I'm so scared that 
that Satan has got a foot in my family and that he's tearing us apart. Holy Spirit, I'm so scared that we'll never be able to bridge the gaps that have been created in our church. Holy Spirit, I'm so scared that we're okay with apathy and that we're okay with being half committed. I'm so scared what's happening to my church family and they won't talk about it. Holy Spirit, I know that you can do more than I've ever asked. I've seen you change people's lives. Lord, I've, I've seen your work, even the past month, I've seen your work to set people free. And you just keep confirming to me, Darren, I'm here. I'm not gone. I'm right here. Holy Spirit, I'm still scared. And it's my lack of faith. Father, forgive me for my lack of faith. I'm so scared that people have chosen not to listen to the Holy Spirit and just listen to their emotions, listen to how they're feeling inside, and just ignore what you say. I'm so scared that even this conversation this morning will mean nothing. It will result in nothing. I'm so scared. I want to give my life, Lord Jesus, for your mission. Like every one of your best friends who lived with you, Lord, who walked with you, who gave their lives. I want to live like that. And I don't know why my church doesn't want to. I don't understand that. Father, you've known every day of my life from the day that you knit me together. You knew that we'd be at this moment. But I pray that supernaturally, Lord, you would push out. You would push out the foothold, Lord Jesus, that the liar has in our church, that you would push out, Lord, the anger and the resentment and the bitterness, Lord, and the frustration that has gripped our hearts and help us to see clearly to lead, Lord, to a reuniting, to a reconciling, to an apology, Lord, to a forgiveness, to an attitude of working together. All of us, Lord, would be humbled through this humbled, Lord, and that would start with the leaders, that would start with us, and that we would be humbled to admit our mistakes and admit our faults. Humbled to say, we are sorry, we have sinned, we have fallen short, because how can we expect anyone else to have that attitude if we won't carry it ourselves? Holy Spirit, you've heard me pray this so many times. Change our hearts. Reunite us, Lord, with your great love. Reunite us, Lord, with the passion the disciples felt in the Gospels. Reunite us, Lord Jesus, with the willingness to give everything, to pray over one another, to request boldness so that we could go tell the world about you. And please, Father, pull the focus off of me. Would I never be a consumer again? Would I never come to church, Lord Jesus, to consume Again, would I come to give and to serve and to love others? Would you change my heart, Lord Jesus, so that I would not be so critical, that I would not critique so ferociously? I've done that so many times, and it's not fair and it's not right. Lord Jesus, would the change start inside of my heart today? And finally, Lord Jesus, would your glory be so visible in this miracle 
Like when Lazarus walked out and everyone said, praise God, like God, what have you done? It's not something the sisters have done. It's something you have done. And I pray that would be the story of Bridgeway. That would be the story. People would talk about this moment in our church and say that was the moment that God got the glory because something supernatural happened and it was moved by the Holy Spirit. That we're not going to let things like this divide us. We're going to be the church that doesn't split. We're going to be the church that doesn't quit. We will be the exception because the Holy Spirit has said you can love one another in my name. You can do this that you would get the glory. Father, I love you. And I'm never going to stop praying that this would happen in our church. I'm never going to stop, Holy Spirit. We need you to move a mountain. And I believe that you can move it. I pray this in Jesus' name. I love you. Amen.